With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. By no one's demand, but our own from our home office here in sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast. It is powered by our friends at Two Rivers Ford, and it is brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. I'm sure your head is swirling. With all things Tennessee Vols. I know our friends, Charlie Burris and Zach Reagan, did a bonus podcast addressing much of the Josh Heupel news, but we're going to focus in a little more on the opinion side of things with John Reed of Fan Run Radio down there on Rocky Top. We've got a Teron Davenport appearance at the Senior Bowl, some Titans prospects to watch. TD zoomed in live from the actual stadium whilst watching workouts, so that will be good for the YouTube audience. And then we have your Music City mailbag questions. Many of you have slid in my DMs on Instagram, and we will read those accordingly. Before we get to any of that, i got to remind you about our good friends at Two Rivers Ford, where I was at on Wednesday. I guess that was just yesterday. While I was listening to Josh Heupel and Danny White give the introductory press conference for the 27th head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, I went out there for my first Bronco broadcast. We are going to do regularly broadcasts from Two Rivers Ford involving all of their cool new 2021 vehicles. Not just the Bronco, even though Two Rivers Ford is Nashville's headquarters for the 2021 Ford Bronco. Not just the new F-150 customized that so you can literally take a nap in your truck and feel like you've just had a full night's sleep. Not just the electric Mach-E Mustang that is fuel efficient and eco-friendly. So many more great vehicles, both new and pre-owned, out there at Two Rivers Ford. You can check them out in Mount uh, Mount Juliet. You can pay them a visit online and customize your options yourself at tworiversford.com. It's powered by Ford, but just like this podcast, it is driven by the people. Let's start with John Reed. We'll go to Teron Davenport, and then at the end, your Music City Mailbag questions. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast. It has been a minute since we've had our buddy John Reed on from Fan Run Radio in Knoxville. You can hear him talk sports noon to 3 Eastern time. You can also catch him on the Reed's Ranch Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, 
wherever it is that you get your podcast. Uh, he is here because there is much going on on Rocky Top. Certainly not just in the last 24 hours. I mean, you look you look really, really good for having just 10 straight days hey. of Vols content shoved into your neck, Reed. But it's good to see you, bud. Hey, I appreciate you. Flattery will always uh, make me feel good. Yeah, you know, it's been nonstop news, but I guess I'm a, a seasoned pro being in Knoxville for the last five or six years. I guess you learned that this is just the, the normal. But I appreciate you having me. Love talking to you. Excited to see uh, where we go. Yeah, I uh, we were we were getting into the content side of things before I actually started rolling. So I said, hell, let's just go and talk about that. And we'll save some Titan stuff for for the back end. But obviously, uh, Josh Heupel is now the uh, the hype man on Rocky Top. He is the 27th head coach of your Tennessee Volunteers. Um, and there are understandably mixed emotions or maybe is it not understandable, Reed? I don't know where you stand on this particular hire. So why don't you kind of give the people your perspective on, on how things have gone down since Phil Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt were fired. Danny White was hired. And then he just turned around and hired the guy that he hired three years ago at UCF. Yeah. See the, the timeline's important. I mean, even going back before Fulmer's fired, we'd been waiting for, you know, six or seven weeks to see, okay, is Pruitt just going to get fired off of, you know, the team's performance because Tennessee was awful this year. They lost seven games by double figures. They oh, would yeah. have had a, a seven-game losing streak had they not got, gotten to play Vanderbilt, you know, COVID-depleted Vanderbilt. They still almost, you know, struggled in that game, at least in the first half. But, you know, so six weeks ago, we're waiting. Like, is Pruitt just going to get canned after Texas A&M? And then you get the allegations and, you know, the NCAA trouble. And we're like, okay, well, now Pruitt's definitely out of there. But we kept waiting. We kept waiting. We're like, okay. Nothing's going to happen on Christmas. No, no, we'll wait for Christmas. Everyone's on holiday. You don't fire men on Christmas. <laughs> then it was, okay, New Year's. No, 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 you don't fire men on New Year's. You know, you got some things going on. Add in as, you know, he had a, a fa- death in the family. So you, we're weighing out some things. We're waiting. And, okay, the contract will go down a little bit if you wait a couple more weeks to fire him. And then finally the news breaks that not only is Jeremy Pruitt out, but also Philip Fulmer is, quote, unquote, forced into retirement despite still getting his full buyout they acted like he wasn't fired but he was fired i love that yeah yeah so at at that point we had been riding a wave of emotions because whenever you're thinking about what's going to happen with pruitt some names are starting to get thrown around are we going to just hire doug marone you know philip fulmer loves doug marone are we going to try to promote kevin Steele? there was the weird timing where fulmer hires kevin Steele to come be on the defensive staff and everyone just kind of was like, wait a second, does that mean Pruitt's safe because you're hiring assistant coaches? And everyone's like, well, you know, Kevin Steele might be on for the next guy, or maybe he's the interim head coach. So everyone's freaking out about that, which I don't know if you saw the news today, Buck, but they just gave Kevin Steele $900,000 for one month of work as they fired him and bought him out of his two-year guaranteed contract. So I did not. Love to yep. see it. <laughs> yep. It's good work. $900,000 for one month of work. Hopefully now he can invest it in like AMC or something and really – Hit a lick, but you know, I got some GameStop stock. I'd like to sell him. Yeah. Well, there you go. And you know, so when Philip Fulmer finally gets forced into retirement, you're starting to think, okay, now what's going to happen? And the thought process and the hot board for the AD coaching, uh, the AD search was pretty bleak. You know, it was like, hey, are we going to go with another Tennessee guy? Are we going to go with somebody from a small school? You're looking at like John Gilbert at ECU or. Uh, you know, the UAB's athletic director. Then all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. You get Danny White, 
who by all accounts is a top-level athletic director. You poach him from UCF. You give him big money. It's reported that your president of the university, Randy Boyd, paid the buyout out of his own pocket because <laughs> one of, you know, the president of Tennessee is one of our mega boosters. Yeah. So he just ponied up $2 million and said, you know what? I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to hire a top-level AD. So once that happened, but and I know I'm taking a really long, t- a really no. long way to get to this answer, but this is very time- important. I think the timeline's important. So once Danny White is hired, I think expectations raised because he's a top five AD and he's someone who has been a winner, wants to be a winner, looks like a winner. And, you know, you have confidence in him. And then, you know, the coaching search happens and some names sort of kind of get leaked out, but it's close to the vest. And, you know, at one point people are saying Sonny Dykes or Tony Elliott and you're like, yeah, I don't really want that. And it's like, okay, what about Matt Campbell? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Matt Campbell. That sounds great. Love that. Yeah. He makes $3.7 million. Let's give him $8 million and make him say no. And then he says, no, maybe we don't know. <laughs> well, we don't know if we actually offered him because according to Danny White, he only offered one person the job, which, okay, Danny, I wouldn't say that if I were you. And then they got their the- guy, Reed. There was yeah. their top target yeah. the whole time. That's how well, it goes. I don't think I would say that after you pay, you know, a million dollars to a search firm or whatever it was to, to go out and hire the guy you had at your last job. But either way, then Love it goes it. to James Franklin and people are like, okay, yeah, yeah. James Franklin. Yeah. He was kind of a jerk at Vanderbilt, but he won at Vanderbilt. And okay. There's some, you know, the Vanderbilt rape stuff. He's tied there. Will we look like hypocrites because of the Shiano stuff? And it's like, ah, well, I don't know. Penn State hired him, but does that really you know, absolve him from any blame. I don't know. There was the hazing stuff that happened at Penn State this year where he says, don't talk to cops. Can we say that? Can we Can we hire him? And, <laughs> you know, you flirt there and you end up not getting him. And as you're still waiting for James Franklin, they, they sneak in Josh Heupel. And, you know, my response to that hire buck is just, eh, okay, I guess. Uh, we're going to play with tempo here. We're going to be the aggressor. We're going to play with our skilled players out in space. We're going to give them an opportunity to, to push the football down the field. At the same time, if you really watch what we do, we're extremely balanced in our approach as far as running pass. We want to be physical. We want to dominate the line of scrimmage. Those are all things that are going to translate to, to what we're doing here in, in Knoxville. At the same time, that aggressive mentality that we have on the offensive side of the football is going to carry over to what we're doing on the defensive side of the football as well. We'll be multiple in all fronts, uh, three-man, four-man fronts. We're going to bring pressure. We want to create negative plays. Uh, I think in, in the game of college football, offensively, it's about creating big plays. Defensively, it's about creating ne- negative plays and getting people off schedule. You put those two things together, you got a chance uh, to have a really successful uh, game plan and ultimately uh, a season. Okay, I mean, I don't have it in me to be angry about it anymore, and there's no sense in getting angry about it. I mean, he's a head coach. He's won some games. My, You know, I have a couple of questions, though. I'm like, you know, you aren't following Scott Frost in a quote-unquote national championship season. You are coming into a program that is in shambles, and you couldn't recruit at UCF coming off of all the national attention you had, coming off of being in the, you know, the state of Florida – and being the premier program of the AAC, you are coming into Tennessee who needs talent and needs to be revamped. And the two things I wonder about whether or not you're able to do, those are the two things on your resume that just say you can't do them, or at least you haven't yet. I 
one, love you for your recall on all of that because it's such it, it it's just been so ongoing that I take for granted that every wrinkle of this story people just automatically know. But it's nice to have a refresher course from time to time because Tennessee is so often a shit show. You just sometimes, even when they're not a shit show, because this was done probably as as professionally as any Tennessee coaching search as I can remember in quite some time, no matter what Danny White thinks of people leaking the day the night before he makes the hire or Vol's Twitter and the hate that he thinks uh, needs to be dissuaded there, which is never going to happen. Danny, know your audience. Uh, if he but- wins, if he wins, it'll happen. I mean, if he if he wins, it'll happen. And also, like, you know, you, you go back and. Tennessee hiring Danny White was the first thing we've been universally praised for since. I mean, giving Pat Summit a statue. Like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't happen with Tennessee. You know, it's always, it's always something. Even when you hired Rick Barnes, you had people saying, and I was one of them, like, hey, you know, retirement Rick, he's coming there to get a golden parachute. Like, the fire's out. I'd rather have an up and comer. And, you know, he's been good. He's been solid at Tennessee, but. You know, there were naysayers to that. So, like I said, I don't know when the last time Tennessee was universally praised. And when you hired Danny White, I called it a statement hire on our show. You know, I was like, hey, this is a big-time statement. Tennessee is showing maybe it's finally time to get serious. And then, you know, you come out with Danny. You you come out with uh, Josh Heupel, excuse me, and it's just another meh hire. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just maybe means that Tennessee's a six, and we need to realize we can't go after tens. we got to stay in our lane because we're a six. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I don't know what the expectation for people who are, who are, who are thinking that there could have been more out there. It's not, it is an attractive job when things are going right, but we still don't know what the implications of Jeremy Pruitt's uh, recruiting violations are going to be. According to the NCAA, I'm sure the university had to make these prospective coaching hires before deciding on Josh or not even deciding on Josh Heupel, but but kind of being left with Josh Heupel. Uh, Some characteristics they were looking for uh, in a head coach. They talked about uh, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of juice and a little bit of swagger. And uh, that's something that uh, we we have in spades and they'll they'll continue to have at at UCF and their football program. And. That's something that, that you'll see uh, in Josh Heupel, the staff he'll build here, uh, excuse me, the staff that he'll build here and uh, and how we carry ourselves as, as a football program. Uh, kids are excited. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. I think you guys are going to like the brand of football you see. Had to make these coaches aware of, hey, X, Y, and Z, we feel maybe coming down the pipe uh, with, this, with this situation that Jeremy Pruitt has kind of left us with. And no matter how many times, I don't know what you make of the McDonald's bag story. I I haven't had a chance to listen to your thoughts, but whether that was drummed up to get Jeremy Pruitt out of there for cause and save some money on the buyout, as people have alleged, I don't really know. All All I look at this and think is there are attractive qualities to Josh Heupel at any other program, maybe not in the SEC, but not really any other program outside of top tier SEC football, right? Brand name SEC football. Josh Heupel is probably regarded as one, maybe not young, but up and coming coaches who have, who have promise their offense delivers the recruiting needs improvement. The defense is obviously something that is a concern. And you don't know whether he was winning with Scott Frost's team when they went 12 and one the year after Frost left for Nebraska. These are all fair questions. 
by anybody who's looking closely enough at the situation. But I just cannot comprehend what what people expected to happen with any of this when you go and approach candidates like Tony Elliott, Matt. I mean, Matt Campbell's an entirely different thing. I don't think he's leaving for anything less than Notre Dame or Ohio State at this point. And every every sign that he's given off kind of indicates that. I'll add the Pittsburgh Steelers in there, too. I'm going to go ahead and call my shot in a couple years. If Tomlin gets fired, he might want to go back to Pittsburgh. Uh, that, that, that's what I think. I think he's going up at the Steelers. Ooh, you heard it here that, first. That would be spicy. I uh, I will take that in consideration. Uh, love, love. <laughs> just, just gotta, you heard it here just, first. You got to fit the hot take in there. You got to fit go. the hot take. I appreciate you for it, brother. But anyway, long story short, the the – perception of Tennessee fans or by Tennessee fans of their program as a 10, a nine, or maybe even an eight is just not factually accurate or any kind of realistic at this particular state. Now, what I do not agree with is things like what Paul Feinbaum is saying about Tennessee just not being relevant anymore. And this was the best they could do. I don't think that's the case at all. Being somebody who was a fan of a historically great basketball program that is no longer irrelevant in my Indiana Hoosiers and feeling very much the same way about Archie Miller when he was hired, just kind of eh. I understand the statement, but I do not, I do not, I think that there is middle ground to be found there, John. Well, what I would say is, you know, I called us a six, and I, I think it's time we admit that. But, Buck, how many sixes with millions of dollars do you see walking around with tens? <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> well, that was the hope. Like, you had, you had the rumors that you could spend up to $8 million a year on a coach. And, you know, I was thinking we were in the perfect scenario in terms of, you know, the SEC money is about to get even stupider in a couple of years when, yep. when, when the ESPN deal officially starts getting paid. And I believe it's 2023, you get an extra $17 million a year. Coaches are going to be regularly making $8 million a year in that, in that league. Like Nick Saban, if he's still around, we making $15 million a year because the money will be there and he's worth it. So I was hoping that you could take enough money and make a good hire simply just by throwing stupid amounts of cash right now, because if you hire Matt Campbell and you pay him $9 million, are you overpaying right now? Sure, maybe he's not the third best coach in the country, but in three years, everyone's going to be paying that. It's like the quarterback market in, in the NFL. It's like yep. contracts in the NBA. Like it's, it's all about when you hit the market and, and when you have the money and what that deal is going to look like in the future. So I will say, yes, we are a six, but I thought we were a six with a lot of money. And we know those people can land some 10. So that's what I was hoping. But, you know, I, I, the thing is, I don't think anyone's actually angry about Josh Heupel. So I don't want that to be the the thought process, or I don't want that to be the representation of Tennessee because I don't think anyone's mad about it. It's just that there aren't many people excited about it. Which is, which is a much better char- uh, characterization, right? And you'll, you'll always have the loud minority who are going to bitch about whatever happens, no matter what happens. But there is, it's not, it's not to the level of apathy yet. I think people are always going to be invested in the University of Tennessee. It's one of the most amazing things in sports, the passion of this fan base, no matter how many times they are burned. Uh, but I think that if is, – is that, is that the worst thing, though, Reed, for people to just kind of be in that place to where they can be pleasantly surprised and not set unreal, unrealistic expectations? Like, I, I understand why people 
like Philip Fulmer when he went up there and said before the season, I think it was after my Indiana Hoosiers were bested in the Gator Bowl at a, at a booster luncheon or whatever, when he says the balls are back and pretty soon we're going to get a piece of everybody's ass. Yeah. Like, I know you need those people who believe in what Tennessee is and used to be and what it can be again to kind of keep people invested. You, want, you don't want people that just give up. But I do think that there is there can be some good found in just kind of resetting with this university and where the football program is at for the sake of the fan base, just to keep them from having so much angst on a regular basis. Or maybe that's a lost cause because they're going to feel that way when they lose to Kentucky on any given Saturday. Well, that soundbite was just one of the uh, many missteps <laughs> from Philip Fulmer. I-, I wish we could hire him again just so we could fire him one more time because he's the person I think uh, most responsibly, uh, most responsible for running this program into the ground over the last 13 years. But look, on Tuesday night, full disclosure, I do a post-game basketball show. Tennessee squeaks out an ugly one against Mississippi State. And really all anybody wanted to talk about was the hypo news. And people were mad that night. People were angry. Uh, one of our callers said they're going to set themselves on fire like uh, the muck that uh, you know was protesting the Vietnam War in Tibet and all that. So you know, people were mad that night. But here we are on Thursday, and I've already seen the, the natural progression from fans. I've seen it over the last decade, Buck. It went from, you know, Lane Kiffin, at least he's not old. He's, he's innovative. He's young. We'll, we'll be exciting. And then, you know, he leaves in one year. And then it turned into, you know, Derek Dooley's a Southerner. He understands his fan base. He'll figure <laughs> it out. He knows the SEC. He's an SEC lifer. He was raised in the SEC. And then it turned into Butch Jones is a, is a real coach. He has winning records. He... He knows what it takes to build a program and, and, you know, he's not going to say the stupid things that Derek Dooley said, you know, the orange dog, the shower discipline, (laughs) making world war references, Butch Jones won't embarrass you. He won't say stupid things, which by the way, that was a big mistake because Butch Jones did say a bunch of stupid things. And then we get to prove it. It turns into, Oh, at least he's not a band nerd. I'm sure you've seen the picture of Butch Jones as a band geek. Oh, Jeremy Pruitt's a real football man. We got a ball coach. Now this guy loves ball. He's on the band. He knows what it takes to win the SEC. He knows what it's like to recruit. He's from Alabama. He knows what this university means. And now we're like, Josh Heupel, well, at least he knows what asparagus is. <laughs> I, I, By the way, one, I miss Butch Jones more than any figure in my sports media life. I really, not really do. Not, no. not me. Well, I understand why, brother, but my God, was he good for a soundbite. And I'm honestly fascinated to see what Jeremy Pruitt looks like in Manhattan with the Jets, because that is going to be a comedy of errors. I can only imagine. But uh, yes, this is this is the this is the uh, what, what I forget how many how many steps of denial there are or how many phases. Of, I, believe the, uh, I believe five. And we're, we're in the bargaining stage right now, I think, where. We're just saying, well, at least it's better than the last situation. And or maybe that's maybe that's the acceptance stage. I don't know. Uh, it's been a long time since school. Yeah. Uh, well, re- the bargaining is the best way to put it. And and I think I've done a little bit of it myself, just as, you know, I'm looking I, to kind of move away from hypo. I'm looking at Danny White and and you universally. The University of Tennessee was praised for that hire. He is considered to be a top candidate for any top athletic director position in the country around college football. And I found myself doing a little bit of this as the week progressed and as the coaching search progressed. 
And I'm like, at least he's not Philip Fulmer because everything that Phil did was messy. At least Danny White seems to have a coherent and concise plan, no matter how this thing ends up playing out. And yes, the optics are not great of you hiring the same guy that you hired three years ago for lack of better options, I would imagine, even if you're not willing to admit it. But I think just kind of just kind of taking the steps to get away from being a national embarrassment like the last time around with this stuff. I really do think there's value in that. Oh, 100 percent. And Philip Fulmer, again, he was he was awful as an AD. Like I said, he is the man most responsible for running this program into the ground. I wonder what Danny thought when he took the job, though, because I, I kind of feel like he thinks, OK, this is a program with money. This is a program you know, with history, a good fan base, and I'm Danny White. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to get a star. I know how to find coaches. People will want to come work for me. I'm Dr. Danny. I'm going up there and I'm going to fix this program because I'm a winner and that's what I do. And then I got all this money and I'm, people are still telling me no. Turns out people don't want to work for me as much as I thought. I wonder if he comes out of this a little humble from it and realizes like, ah, hey, you know, I'm not. My, this might be a little bit tougher to fix than I thought. And, you know, you mentioned he brought in the guy he was with and all that. I'll give Danny the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing because he's earned it. Now, he hasn't won in the Power Five, and, you know, you're always going to question that until it happens. Like, winning at Buffalo and winning at UCF is different than winning at Tennessee and the SEC, of course. Mm. But the biggest hope for me is that he is smart enough to know that, you know, maybe this is going to take a two- or three-year cleansing and we'll reevaluate in three years. And if Josh Heupel hasn't done a good enough job and he hasn't taken us to the next level, I have no issue with firing him, firing him if he's still a seven or eight win coach. And then now I'll be equipped. We'll be out of NCAA trouble and I'll be equipped with more money. Thanks to the ESPN deal and a kind of restored brand. And I'll go out and get somebody to actually take Tennessee to the next level. I hope Danny is viewing it as a five or six year plan and doesn't get married to Heupel because that's been our biggest problem is that, too many of these ADs don't recognize that coaches are on different tiers. You have builders and you have elevators. You have coaches that can max out at eight wins and, you know, be good, but they're not going to be great. And then the problem in the cycle is we allow them to get to the point where it all runs out. Like take Butch Jones, for example, if Butch Jones would have left after year three, Butch Jones would be beloved in Tennessee. He got Mm. you back to nine and four. You had NFL talent all over the field. I mean, look, watch on Sundays. I mean, Justin Coleman is the highest paid nickelback, or at least he was last year. You have, you have, you know, guys on NFL rosters all over the place. If Butch Jones would have left after year three, he would have been praised at Tennessee. Year four comes. That's the year you should have won the SEC East. That's the year you choke away the game against South Carolina. You lose to Vanderbilt. You don't even go to the Sugar Bowl like you should have. You go eight and four. It would have been tough to fire a coach after back-to-back eight and four seasons, but this program would be in much better shape had you made the tough decision. While this thing is somewhat above water, while we have a good foundation, I'm going to make a tough decision and I'm going to find a new coach. Instead, you don't. And everyone knows that Butch Jones is a dead man walking. He's a lame duck coach. That's the offseason where he couldn't quit saying stupid stuff. I mean, he just keeps saying five-star hearts and life champions and, and his recruiting had tanked. And you allowed that to happen. And guess what happened the next year? You won four games. You went four and eight. You completely tanked your roster. You completely tanked recruiting. And then you ended up with Jeremy Pruitt after a long coaching search because fans were so fed up. Fans were so mad. You felt so close 
to success after the back-to-back eight and four seasons. You knew it could be better. You know, Tennessee could get back to the point where you're winning the East. But instead, you, lo- you win four games. You lose eight. You go winless in the SEC. You hire another coach that wasn't ready for the Tennessee job. And look where we're at now. You know, it's the same thing. You know, it's kind of ironic because that's what was going to happen to Jeremy Pruitt had he not gotten in trouble. Like he would have gotten fired in year four because the roster would be bad and he's not a good coach and we'd have had two bad recruiting classes and it would have happened again. But we were able to fire him early. But the irony is, Buck, that, you know, we had all these NCAA sanctions and all these transfers and we found ourselves at rock bottom again, having to completely build over. So I'm hoping that Danny White realizes, Hey, if Josh Heupel is still seven and five or eight and four in year three, that's not good enough. I'm going to go hire a different coach before, you know, this goes back down and then we have to start all over. I'm hoping Danny's smart enough for that. It's a fascinating dynamic. Cause I look, I look at that, what you just described a lot. Like I look, uh, look at in the NFL general managers and players who they drafted who are approaching free agency like you just can't get that married to your guy when you know that you can find other prospects out there that may not be immediate improvements but have better long-term trajectory or make more sense for your for your franchise or at that time can help elevate you as long as you time things correctly and so often whether it be in college football, like you've just described with athletic directors and coaches, whether it be in the NFL with contracts that are given to players by general managers who drafted them because they believe in their process. And as a result, the players uh, that they are paying, I, I look at that and say, you know, Danny White's track record is solid for where he has been, but this is an entirely different ball game as you've outlined. And he, I imagine he has to have been humbled. And if he hasn't been, then he's a whole different kind of ego monster than what has been described to me. I, I'm not ruling that option out by the way. Oh, neither but, am I based, yeah, listen, I'm, based I'm, on, uh, listening to a little bit about, of what, uh, Stephen Godfrey had to say. <laughs> I am fully prepared for the Danny white experience to can, continue on and on and on. Well, we also have never seen him have to fire his own coach, at least mm. like, you know, at, at football or, or basketball. I mean, I don't know if he had to fire a baseball coach or whatever. I don't, I don't think so. But, you know, will he be able to admit he was wrong on Hypo? That's a concern. And, you know, you made the NFL comparison. You, you talked about players. But, I mean, you're there in Nashville. You saw it. You know, Amy Adams did it with, uh, you know, uh, when she brought in Vrabel, got rid of Malarkey after yeah. a playoff win. It was like, you know what? You're not the coach to take us to the next level. I know you want a playoff game, but let's face it. It was kind of fluky. Travis Kelsey gets hurt. Mariota's catching passes to himself and running in. And, you know, we won that game, and that's great. But I don't think you can sustain this. I don't think you're good enough. So you made that tough call. And I think everyone would agree the franchise is in better position with Vrabel than it would be with Malarkey. So, yeah, I mean, we saw her her do that over there in Nashville. Unequivocally now, but now it falls on the ego of Mike Vrabel because you and <laughs> sure. I were discussing, yeah. uh, discussing before we started rolling as to what he's going to do with his coaching staff. And, and we'll transition a little bit there because I haven't, I honestly haven't talked much Titans at all this week on any platform because there's not been much going on. But the, I guess, Reed, people know your passion, especially those who follow you on social media for the Tennessee Titans. And this is, this was a, you know, I know Chad, our buddy Chad Withrow, uh, would claim that this was a failure outright this season, despite winning the co- the the division for the first time in 12 years, hosting a home playoff game for the first time in 12 years. And yeah, you pooped yourself in the uh, in the one and done playoff situation. Hmm. 
the defense was bad all year, but now Mike Mike Vrabel is in a in a similar position as as one we're kind of following Danny White's progress with, or will follow Danny White's progress with over the next couple of years, uh, as to how he goes about replacing Arthur Smith and what the hell he ends up doing with Shane Bowen. And I guess from from your perspective, what would you have him do about the offense and the defense? Oh, see, I, I'm not going to be able to to answer those. I mean, the offensive coordinator. He's actually, you know, hired a couple of good ones before. I'll trust him there. Okay. The defensive coordinator obviously was a disaster this year. I mean, was Bowen the defensive coordinator? I mean, is that – I know he says that was kind of what he did. You know, Kevin Byard said, yeah, he was basically our coordinator. We didn't give him the title. But, I mean, you can't just run that back again, right? I mean, if he was actually coordinating the defense, can you just bring that back? I feel like you really can't. Although, you know, I don't know. Do you think the season was a success or a failure? Like, do you, do you think – we, we, you kind of glossed over that. What, what did you, how, how would you judge the season? I would say that it, in what they stated their goal to be, um, which is to win enough games to win the division and host a home playoff game, they did succeed in that. What they failed at was getting back to the place or superseding the position that they put themselves in in 2019, which is to go to the AFC Championship game and to ultimately try and compete for a Super Bowl. So if the goal, which the ultimate goal is always compete for a Super Bowl, yeah, you fell on your face because, one, you were either too stubborn to admit that your defense needed course correction or that what that really is hovering over all of this is that your GM really botched the personnel side of things this year in a way that was clear and obvious to everybody. You weren't going to win any kind of any kind of up battles up front with Wyatt Ray, Tuzar Skipper, and Derek Roberson on third downs. It just it just wasn't humanly possible. So I I I understand people's people's fervor for a need for a new defensive play caller, uh, whether, I mean, whether you remove Bowen entirely or whether you hire a, a designated defensive coordinator, I just think that the personnel moves were such, and it failed in such a spectacular way that I really don't think anybody could have predicted that you have to grade on a curve for Shane Bowen. And also I think it would be Mike Vrabel's preference to bring him back because it's not it's not just about who can you get that's a better defensive coordinator. It's who is Mike comfortable with running his system. And he very, very much trusts Shane Bowen to run his system, so much so that after the Cincinnati loss, where he's telling us they're on that Zoom call very, very defiantly, well, I know it's not a problem with the coaching because I'm there to oversee it every day. And he's running my defense the way that I think it should be run. This is obviously now paraphrasing. This wasn't quite as defiant, although he might as mm-hmm. well said all of this. Uh Essentially, what he's saying to us is, no, everything's fine because I know that it's fine when it's clearly and obvious not fine. It's the kind of fine that's the dog meme drinking the cup of coffee and the room is aflame. Like, this is the kind of fine that we find ourselves in. Maybe it was just like, hey, get rid of Jonathan Joseph. And that's, that, that'll eliminate a lot of our problems. And I, I do feel bad for the for the defense just simply because, I mean, Adoree, you know, went through his injury and Fulton couldn't really get on the field. And you did have to play Jonathan Joseph. And. You know, I, I, that's how it was kind of hard to be too mad about it. I, I know as a as more of a fan, you know, I was just kind of waiting. Like, eh, if Adore gets back, the second year will get better, and it'll be okay. And I do think the defense played better towards the end of the year. But, yeah, I mean, it was uh, whiff after whiff in terms of, you know, their plan, at least, like from the GM stage, like you said. I mean, everyone knew that Vic Beasley was a, a bad mistake. Like, no one, no one thought that guy. Nobody thought that was a good idea. Nobody. Yeah. No one thought giving him $8 million was a good idea. I still think Clowney, you know, was good enough. Um, you know, a one-year deal, obviously, 
gives him incentive to shut down early and worry about free agency this year, you know, and protect his money. But what can you do? I was curious how you thought about the season as a success or failure. I mean, my thing to bring it full circle was I kind of just judged the season as meh. You know, you, you won the division first time you'd done it in, you know, over a decade, but you failed in the playoffs. So I wouldn't call it a success. I wouldn't call it a failure. It was it was fun enough, I guess. It was fun it's enough. Fun enough. No, it's 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 total. Listen, there's a lot of meh. There's a lot of there's a lot of just kind of we're we're just kind of here, you know, and in, both, in both and phases of football in the state of Tennessee. Well, I was going to say there's some overlap there because obviously the uh, 2020 Titans was heavy offense and not a lot of defense and. That might be where ball fans are headed, you know, for the next couple of years with Josh Heupel. So buckle up. It's a fun. Listen, listen to me. Every ball fan that's listening to this, it'll be a fun regular season ride. You'll enjoy watching it until it poops itself in the uh, in the opening round of of, you know, whatever the case may be, if you're playing for the SEC East or not. Um, and it's, you know, you're used to it scoring 30 and then somebody figures out figures it out when it matters and it scores 13. That's not a good, the good news. We might be facing bull bands, so we don't have to worry about postseason. <laughs> oh, what we uh, what we will not have to worry about is every time our friend John Reed comes on that we will have entertaining content about the Vols, the Titans and everything in between. Of course, you can hear him on fan run radio down there in Knoxville. But you know this noon to three Eastern time down there on Rocky Top. He's got the Reeds Ranch podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and a hell of a social media follow, if I do say so myself. Now, there's two underscores in it. I want to make sure you get the Twitter handle right right for the people. I didn't forget, Reed. He's learned. Buck has learned. (laughs) Growth. We love to see it. We need to do a home and home. I need to get you on on my radio show soon. I'll have you come on and Talk some Titans with us, buddy. I'll be around and, and hopefully we'll have some news because I'm dying on, you know, I'm, I'd rather not write about Derrick Henry's national media press tour today in his campaign to win FedEx ground player of the year. There's, there's got to be something else for me out there. Reed. Yeah, yeah. No, no, thanks on that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm good on those two. <laughs> what about, what about the Madden game? What about uh, Derrick Henry and Madden over the weekend? You into that one or no? Uh, I mean, what, what am I going to do with that? You know, I, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, because A.J. Brown has the 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 verses with Justin Jefferson that the NFL is doing. I kind of feel about those things the way that I felt for 20 minutes of my life yesterday when I downloaded Twitch. I just feel old. Yeah. I so just, wait, what, what, what is the verses? Are they going to catch for catch? Like, is that what they're going to do? Like, uh, like the rappers do hit for hit? Are they going to go catch for catch, highlight for highlight? How's that going to work? You know, after he IG lived his post uh, post op surgery, I should probably be paying attention yeah. more or more close attention than I was. But I just knew that he did it. I don't know what the hell happened on it. So that's a terrible job out of me. I didn't like AJ saying, hey, I need more targets, though. I, I mean, I, do I want <laughs> AJ to get more targets? Yeah, but I don't need him, you know, Publicly speaking, on Jefferson only having better stats because of the targets. No, Let's relax, I, AJ. We're at we're at the we're at the tipping point. I got a lot of faith in you, AJ, but this is how it happens. This, you know, Antonio <laughs> Brown used to never say a word. Antonio Brown was never a locker room distraction until he was. You know what I mean? So, like, let's just let's pump the brakes on our on our diva wide receiver. Let's keep him the tough, you know, the tough guy, the everyman, the hard worker. From one AB to another, John Reed yeah. has just made an Antonio Brown comparison <laughs> to AJ Brown. My God. Well, I mean, am I wrong at that? Like I, well, I mean, no. I, I feel like Antonio Brown was the, you know, the undrafter, the six-round draft pick that was a hard worker that was, you know, replacing Mike Wallace, who was a diva. And, you know, Antonio Brown was the hard worker. And then all of a sudden, 
Juju gets there and he gets a little, you know, a little crazy. That's all I'm saying. It came out of nowhere with Antonio Brown for me. Yeah, the difference is AJ knows he's the best Titans wide receiver in the history of Titans wide receivers. And there's probably not going to be another one that's anywhere close. Sure as hell not in the last 20 years. Fair enough. Well, he's like, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) John Reed, check him out wherever you listen to your Tennessee Volunteers sports talk or otherwise down there on Fan Run Radio. Buddy, we appreciate the time as always. I know you've got to be gassed, but we'll talk again soon. You do this all day, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> Back here, 615 Sessions podcast. Look at him smile down there in Mobile, Alabama. It is the OG TD, Teron Davenport, reporting live from the Senior Bowl. Well, you know, boss man. Hey, what's going on, man? As I told you, this is heaven on earth for me, so. Uh, no question, no question. I just saw Jimmy Wyatt. He's lurking around the uh, lurking around the stands down there. You guys are scouting some prospects. Look at him. No, legal pad. You got the mask on. You got the visor. <laughs> double, double pencils. <laughs> oh, yeah, double pencils. He's strapped up. Hi, Jim. It's <laughs> perfect. Everything is good on him except for that Dodgers hat. You know? uh, Listen, as a Mets fan, you know what I mean? I know. Hey, you, you got your own problems right now as a Mets fan, all right? You got to stop. You, you can't have so many texts going out. We got the people keep receipts nowadays, Theron. You got to be careful out there in these streets. Hey, listen, if there was one thing you could bring out of that, he, at least he was persistent. But, uh, you know, he was persistent for a bad cause. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Teron is persistently and consistently reporting on all things going down there with the prospects that are working out at the Senior Bowl. Obviously, the Titans, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, the contingent is down there scouting for the draft that will be held. I guess, Teron, we'll, we'll just go kind of general observations to start. Who stood out to you and, and what positions are you uh, are you hyper-focused on right now? Yeah, I mean, some of the, the suspected guys have, have already stood out. I mean, I came down here knowing Tylen Wallace – the OK State receiver was legit, and he's shown it. Um, Dwayne Eskridge, a guy that, you know, I've mentioned a few times from uh, Western Michigan, and, and you don't have to say the Corey Davis experience has, uh, you know, made you not like Western Michigan receivers because I, I know you're on top of that Corey Davis hill, but, I, you know, I'm climbing it. You, you know what I, I mean? I'm going to die. I'm going to die here. He's going to get paid by the New York Jets, but I'm going to die here, Teron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those, I mean, those are two guys, but I've been focusing a lot on the uh, – the defensive line and, 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 you know, edge guys and interior guys. Uh, there's a guy named Levi on on Wuzuriki out of Washington that he didn't practice today, but he was dominant yesterday. Uh, the local kid, you know, Robert Jones from MTSU, he had an awesome day today. I posted some videos of him, uh, Patrick Jones, and that's one I was expecting to, to really stand out. Um, there, there's, there's a few guys that, you know, Keith Taylor Jr., out of uh, Washington. So uh, there's there's been a few guys we're about to see the American team come out and, and we'll, we'll see those guys on day two. Um, Carlos Basham, uh, Marvin Wilson uh, was really, really good, D-tackle. And I've seen him mock to the Titans a few times in the first round. But uh, there's there's a good collection of guys here. I mean, I could go the whole show, you know, talking about them. But, it, you know, there's, there's a good collection. And you can follow along with all Teron's updates. He's posting videos. He's got his personal scouting reports available at T Davenport underscore NFL. And I'm sure talking with TD, the podcast, subscribe, rate, review will be chock full 
of all kinds of draft nuggets. This is when this is when my man eats. We know we know we got to go to TD this time of the year. So, Teron, I guess with with where they're positioned right now, especially in the first round of 22, I mean, their needs are obvious in Tennessee. The biggest thing that everybody is talking about, whether it be through through free agency or the draft, is a need for a pass rush, a need for yes. whether it be from the edge, whether it be to help Jeffrey Simmons on the interior. They have to be able to generate pressure. As we sit here in the first round, we, we're, we're far away and we don't know how the draft order is going to break, but do you think at 22 that they will be able to find an option for them to be able to help them in that way? Or do you think they would look elsewhere like a wide receiver to plant potentially Corey Davis? Or, I mean, we've seen John Robinson trade up. What do you think right now, based on the talent that you're seeing, will be available to them in that spot? You know, honestly, I think Patrick Jones is an awesome option for them in the second round, to be honest with you. Uh, He'll be there in the first. It depends on how that board plays out, who else is available. But I I think he's a a perfect guy in that Harold Landry type of uh, target zone, strike zone, right, to draft a guy in the second round. Um, It it would be good for Jones. uh, You know, that way it wouldn't be expected of him to come out the box with 10 sacks. But, you know, his versatility matches – really well his motor matches well I think that would be really good um Joseph Asai you know the Texas kid that I mean he's not here but he's someone he plays the jack position so you'll see him uh you know not dropping coverage as much he'll be more involved with the one and obviously Ashford side of things but he's he's kind of stiff so I I don't know if he's a guy in the first round uh, you got Aziz Larry. I apologize if I pronounced his last name wrong, but, uh, you know, from Georgia, he's a guy that I could see them using the pick on because he could come in right away. So there there will be some options at 22, but I think, you know, with this deep uh, edge class, you could go into round two and, and, and still get somebody good. Rashad Reaver out of uh, Pitt, too. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I've I've kind of been the the more that I I I'm really I'm always late to the draft study I feel like but it's it's not never been kind of my my forte I once the season ends then I start to do my homework uh, and the more that I kind of evaluate you know the the depth and and the talent level of the guys who are going to be available to them the more that I kind of come away thinking you know people people freaked out and Isaiah Wilson is a different matter entirely in the first round but people kind of got all upset at them for drafting corner waiting till the second round to draft a corner in Christian Fulton, who we'll, we'll see what the, what the returns on that end up being. But I, I think people get yeah. so caught up in immediate need with that first round pick that they ignore how the draft strategy, how the strategy can better go to in the Titans favor to better suit their needs. And there you see, if you're watching with us on YouTube, you can see the, uh, the senior bowl, down there in Mobile as TD's backdrop. This is this is about this may be my favorite. Uh, this may be my favorite Zoom pod that we've done, Teron. Just because I mean, look at this. This is fantastic. It doesn't get much better, and you even got Wyatt. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, man. You get to beautiful. see everything, and, and you know, you'll see a guy in this practice. I'll post some videos of him, uh, Carlos Basham. Mm. If he's available at twenty-two, I forgot to mention him at Wake Forest. Now that could actually, you see him right there. Just beyond, I uh, see the guy in the white walking. Yes, and he he's just he's just behind him to the right now. That's Carlos Basham. Got it. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think I think I'm I'm really interested to see to get your your final evaluations after this week 
concludes and, and see what you kind of come out with after you've had a, a more time to kind of evaluate and digest these uh, what you've seen from these guys. But it's really uh, it's really exciting that we're getting back into this time of year, Teron. You know that you're our go-to guy around here when it comes to draft evaluation. You I, you and our, our our guy Emery. You know we got to bring up the football game plan squad from time to time. Yeah. You guys do an exceptional job. Uh, but we appreciate you checking in from the Senior Bowl, OG, and uh, we'll catch up with you. I'm certain down the road. Oh yeah, you already know it, man. When I got the text, I. I said, say no more. Say less, right? We'll, we'll, we'll be on. This is what we do. Listen to me, Teron. If people could get me to say less, they would have done it a long, long time ago. But I just, <laughs> I, I physically can't do it, buddy. Yeah. And before we go, you see this this uh, number zero right here? Yeah. That that little linebacker, he, he, he's pictured Dwayne Bates, or excuse me, Darren Bates, uh, right, on, on, on after drinking five Red Bulls. Stop it. There's the, oh, there's. Man. There is nobody – listen, Teron, I've gone back and watched a lot of television copy of the games, and I love how often the TV cameras go towards Darren Bates during Titans games because of how yes. hype he is for people who make plays. Look at him. Looks like Captain Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a player. <laughs> he's a player. He's a cartoon character. He's look, everything. Look, <laughs> look, he's still going. <laughs> I, hey, he had stopped. He's running right off the people's street. <laughs> <laughs> I can't with you, man. I, I I love it. I'm happy that you're down there. You guys enjoy the rest of the week, and uh, and we'll check in with you for a uh, a final evaluation here on the six one five sessions. I right, for sure, man. Appreciate it. Music City Mailbag Time because it is the Thursday edition of the podcast. We will start with your questions. You have submitted them. You have slid into my DMs on Instagram. That's at Buck Rising. R-E-I-S-I-N-G. That's where you find me. Titans questions, life advice. I have a couple of cats now. Perhaps I can advise you as to how to handle two North Nashville mountain lions that you, if you are to secure them from the wild and bring them into your home as I have done, more my girlfriend has done, but regardless, let's not nitpick. I have a wealth of experience to provide some guidance on if you just slide in my DMs. Mike Camsey starts us off. What's happening, Buck? Been a minute. That Titans loss hurt the soul a little bit. Needed some radio silence, but the Vol coaching search is just a thing of beauty. Suck me right back into the A to Z. I got a mailbag for you, and you may have touched on it in the last few weeks, but given all the movement in the Titans organization and not having any coordinators, how would you rank the priorities heading into the offseason? I view it as offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, then Corey Davis getting re-signed, hopefully with help from Cunning Humphreys. Pass rush, at least three new guys in that room with a high draft pick, then looking at Janu and Desmond King for re-signings. Sorry for so much to unpack, but basically the priority list for the offseason. So we kind of did this last week, so I don't want to get too redundant, but just as it relates to the coordinator situation, um... One, I don't think you're signing Corey Davis, so you, I would start to kind of let that sink in a little more. I, I don't, I'm not able to report that they are not going to sign Corey Davis at this point. I don't want that to sound like a cop out, like things may change by the time you hear this podcast. But at this time, I am hearing enough to make me think that on 4:15 Central Time. 
at all, excuse me, on January 28th, 2021 at 4.15 Central Time at the time of this podcast taping, they are not proceeding as if they are going to bring Corey back. So I would say to you, kind of put that out of your mind. I also don't think that they're going to cut Humphreys. The money just doesn't make enough sense. Now, it's going to be a little closer to $4 million that you save, and that may, if you come down to brass tacks, which is very possible in a season where, unless they borrow against future seasons, which is also on the table, they'll probably have a salary cap reduction, as we've discussed many times due to the global pandemic. But those two things I don't see in your future. Now, offensive coordinator, this this has been very, very, very quiet around St. Thomas Sports Park, largely because they are, and there will be some movement coming out of this week, mind you. The coat, the uh, the Senior Bowl is going on, as you heard Teron Davenport reporting from. You will see more movement now that NFL personnel, general managers, head coaches, position coaches, scouts are all in a similar place, if not, if not, you know, socially distanced and and they are socially distanced based on all the things that you've seen coming out of the senior bowl. But anyway, you will see movement on that because there's been a, an event that has taken place. That's not the combine of the super bowl where NFL people have gathered in mass. So you will see more uh, negotiations take place. You will see more movement on that front now that they have had an opportunity to get back together after some time off. Um, John Smith and Desmond King. I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy about either of those signings. I think that why sign Desmond King if you drafted Christian Fulton to play that position? And Jonu Smith, Jonu Smith like, seems like a really, really prime candidate to get overpaid elsewhere based off potential. Yes, he did for a period of time this season lead the league in tight end touchdowns. And he kind of tailed off as the season rolled on um, because of things that they had to do schematically to help protect Tannehill better after not one but two left tackles went down. You saw his production dip. So you can't blame that totally on Janu, but there are moments when he's just not there or fades from the game plan. And as a quarterback, the most reliable position that you have on the field when it comes to the passing game, I have always felt is the tight end. I think that that's been proven based on how you see quarterbacks, and maybe it's just because that's where they find themselves in their progression, and it's normally a safer route that the tight end is running, so it's an easier place to know that you have that trust. But Janu, to me, I don't necessarily think you benefit from just starting over at that position because literally all of them, all four of them, are going to be free agents this offseason, but I do think that you need to keep a close eye on Janu's financials because he does have potential. He has shown the ability to other teams who could overpay him and who could look to overpay him as they kind of look for foundational pieces to build around with franchises that are trying to get right. I just think, well, I don't think, I know that John U. Smith is not worth tight end top dollar money at this point. So kind of, you know, at least that's my purview on it at this point your music city mailbag questions we appreciate mike he is a frequent contributor here on the podcast let's see who's next swaggy knuckles with a p in there swaggy p knuckles uh anyway p knuckles on instagram writes in life advice part one study the cat closely it'll love you unconditionally 
But if you give it to someone else, it won't give a shit as long as it gets the cat chow too. Grab every bit of life you can because you know the cat will. So I'll take this in parts because Swaggy has written in in three parts. Uh, yes, the cat does. Well, I have cats now. <laughs> Which is this? It's such a negative connotation anytime I say I have cats. <laughs> Plural. I have two cats. Uh, many of you know who listen to this podcast, I have two uh, kittens that I found by my trash can in the alley behind my house in downtown Nashville. Uh, my girlfriend and I uh, saw that these animals needed assistance because one had a nasty gash in its neck, the other a wound on its shoulder. Many of you have heard this story before. So we captured said kittens, we took them to the vet, and now they live in my home with me because my girlfriend does not live with me, so they're my cats. <laughs> and I will say that they are very good for somebody with my schedule because I'm always doing something, and I'm at home a lot, and the cats don't need a ton of adult supervision. Uh, like potty training them was simply picking them up one time, putting them in the litter box, and then it was done forever after. Like, there's just, there you can't beat that. Uh, for as much as dogs might give you effusive love and affection, which I really don't need. I will say, though, that they do take up quite a bit of my time having to buy different things for the cats, vet visits, how often I need to go out and get cat litter, changing the litter box, things of this nature. So, yes, I can confirm. Part two from Swaggy. The, wor- the whole world is bipolar. They love you or hate you. So find a bar that allows your cat to come in with you. That way, you're snubbing your nose at all idiocy in the world, and you and the cat are the only ones that know it. Well, I really don't think I have any issue snubbing my nose at idiocy in the world. In fact, I think I do it too often, which makes me sound uh, unrelatable is not the word. Just makes me sound like a pompous ass. And, it, you know, I sound that way because I am. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying any of those things. Um, and I don't think the cat has a problem with that either. Neither of the cats seem to have a problem with that. In fact, they live in my home. I feed them. I take care of them. I take damn good care of them. They live better than I do. And they snub their nose up at me because oftentimes I'm an idiot. So yeah, the cat, uh, the cat and me snubbing the nose, it's not an issue. Part three from Swaggy, thir- the third and final in this thread. If you live life the way I have, you'll always have great memories. You have trouble remembering and your doctor will be amazed you're still alive. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I have many memories that I wish I remembered better. I feel like we all do. I feel like the further I get from college, the more I start to sound like my parents. Like, I can't remember, no free ads, but I can't remember which insurance company or whether it's car insurance or something. They have these commercials where it's this guy's job to be in charge of teaching people how not to become their parents. Like, not uh, not reading every sign that you drive by while in a car. Not uh, <laughs> Not helping people... With, uh, with their grocery selection or with their yard, uh, with their mulch selection, uh, their mulch preference at Home Depot or Lowe's because you don't know those people and you need to get away from them. Not judging people based on the color of their hair because you're not 110 years old, you're just 27 and aging very, very rapidly. So yeah, there's a lot of things that I would like to have back and a lot of things that I wish weren't happening to me as I get older. But I think these, this is just kind of the progression of things which is an unfortunate part of the business. Okay, three Titans of Oilerdom writes in, what must the Titans do to remain a playoff contending team? Hmm, that's a good question. 
I mean, it's really not that hard to figure out, even though the way that they lost was not the way that everybody expected them to lose, right? They they lost because the offense, they lost because of bad coaching decisions. They didn't lose because of the defense, because the defense against the Ravens in that playoff game at Nissan Stadium a couple weeks ago played really, really well. But the pass rushes, you can't ignore it. I wrote about Matt Judon this week. A lot of people got pissed off because I really like Matt Judon, and for some reason that's inexplicable to them. Like, we didn't just go through this whole thing with Zadarius Smith, and you all have uh, not buyer's remorse because you didn't get Zadarius Smith or John Robinson didn't get Zadarius Smith. And these both of these track records are very similar, just as it was when Pernell McPhee hit free agency with the Ravens a couple of years ago, Courtney Upshaw. Like, they always have these players that serve their time on a rookie contract. Baltimore drafts well at that position and many others. And these guys go get paid elsewhere. And like $20 million was the reported asking price, but Judon went out there and refuted that he's probably going to get somewhere between 15 and $16 million a year, which may still sound high for somebody who's never had double-digit sacks. But I will say to you that you cannot trust them, them meaning the Titans and this organization, to fix the pass rush through the draft. Harold Landry is a good player. He is not an overwhelmingly dominant pass rusher. And listen, they're picking in these spots lower in the first and second rounds or needing to trade up because they've been good and they haven't had the best draft selection. So there's some of that that has to be taken into account too. But in the absence of being able to draft pure dominant talent to help you get the quarterback down more than 19 times in the regular season, sometimes you have to overpay. You can overpay. You can structure the deal in a way like Derrick Henry's deal was done, like Ryan Tannehill's deal deal was done, where the first-year cap hit doesn't hurt you as bad, and it scales up substantially in the second. You structure it in a way that you are – it's a four-year deal. He's sneaky old. He's 28, Judon. And he's not the only option. In fact, there are many options. But it has to start with paying somebody to rush the quarterback. It just has to because at 22 in the first round – you're not going to get the best edge rusher available. You're probably not going to get the, the the best four edge rushers available, given how much of a premium is placed on that position in particular. But I look at you and say there is no Super Bowl without a pass rush for the Tennessee Titans. Their offense doesn't need to score 30 points a game. It needed to this year because they couldn't stop anybody, and they had to score 30 points a game. You just need a defense that's in the top 20, and they can't be historically bad on third down. Pass Rush helps that. Music City Mailbag questions here on the 615 Sessions podcast. You can send these in to me in my DMs on Instagram at BuckRising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. I know there will be no football ahead in your weekend because we have this gap between conference championship weekend and the Super Bowl, but perhaps you are a basketball fan as I am, and there's much good basketball, much Many good games ahead, even though uh, largely nobody seems, at least locally, to care about basketball. So maybe I'm just talking to myself to tell myself that I'm going to have something to do this weekend as it relates to the sports world. We will have great conversations leading into Super Bowl week. We have an exciting announcement, actually, that starts next week that's going to happen, that's going to affect not just the podcast, but the primetime show as well. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I need you to stay safe. I need you to stay clean. And Nashville, I need you to stay hot. This has been the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast. It's powered by Two Rivers Ford. It's brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. <laughs>